How many of you guys uh, have ever done something like that? And it all started with, hey, um, I dare you to. Um, <laughs> and uh, if, if, if you're a guy here, you've probably done some pretty stupid things in your life. And it usually starts with that. It usually starts with another guy saying, hey, I, I, do, I, I dare you. And when it really gets bad, then it's a double dog dare. And then, of course, the ultimate, as we all know, is the triple dog dare. Um, but today is, is for you guys. Um, today is for the guys. There are uh, two types of movies, aren't there? There are chick flicks and there are good ones. Right? And uh, today, <laughs> can I get an amen? Today is going to be uh, a good one. We're going we're gonna to talk, um, talk about manhood. And over the next four weeks, I'm really excited about this series as we talk about manhood. We're going to actually look at the life of the strongest man who probably ever lived. And he was uh, an amazing man of physical character and strength. Yet, um, uh, on the inside, spiritually, he was an incredibly weak man. His name is Samson. And we are going to um, get a chance to look at, at him um, today and over the next four weeks. I'm, I'm glad to be back with you guys. I was out last week. Um, I went to Florida and ended up getting sick and pretty much laid in bed for a week. So I'm glad to be back up and functioning. I'm still a little sick, so if I cough in the mic or I sneeze or whatever, just forgive me or something like that. So, But it's just the Holy Spirit moving in me. Um, but but I'm just glad that, that you guys are here, especially for you men. Now, a couple of ground rules. Um, ladies, uh, no elbows today. Um, let's make it a clean fight. No... Uh, no punch uh, below the belt if you're sitting next to your to your hubby or to your guide. That um, please don't elbow him or um, give him a, a good punch. Um, you're you are allowed though, ladies, to scream out a good amen if you if you want to. That would be fine. Um, but let's make it a clean fight today. So, um, ladies, I think though that you will have something to apply today too. So it's not just for guys. I, I think you'll be able to apply it today. But I especially want to talk to guys today because I, I do believe. That if you um, look around today, there is a, a great <clears throat> problem with the men in our society, the men in our nation. And for, for many men, and I know that's not true of all men, but for many men, we have abdicated our, our spiritual leadership role and we have become passive. Uh, it started in the garden when we blamed uh, the woman. We said, God, it was that woman that you gave me. And even now, we are still uh, doing the same thing, and we are putting the blame on other people. But God has given um, us as men a specific role and duty and responsibility. And this morning, we want to talk about that. God, um, excuse me while I drink some coffee. My throat is killing me. Um, I want to share with you a very tragic verse in the Scriptures as we start this series, and it's found in Ezekiel Chapter 22, verse 30. God is looking out on the nation of Israel, and this is what he says. He says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it. God looked, and he said, He's, I looked for such a man, but he said, I found none. God looked at the nation of Israel and was just looking for one man who would stand up. For his nation and stand in the gap between the the people and God, who would be a spiritual leader, who would who would defend his nation, and unfortunately he he found none. 
Uh, I heard someone say one time, it says, where are all the good men? Um, where did they all go? Uh, they turned into women. That's what happened. They uh, have, have exchanged their role of, of leadership for um, the role of uh, the passive follower. And today and, and over the next four weeks, uh, men, I want to ask you to man up. That's why we're calling this series Man Up. Oftentimes when you think of man up, you may think of just a challenge to do something stupid, a challenge to do something that uh, you end up with a broken leg with. And, uh, but that's not the point of this series. The point of the series is that we want to call men uh, to man up, to be, to be men of courage, to be men of faith, to be men of, uh, of strong character, to be men of integrity, to be men of honor, to be men who will defend the, those who can't defend themselves, men who will lead um, not just their businesses, but will lead their families, who will lead their, um, their wives. And those are the kind of men that we um, want to see. There was a, a man named Henry Varley who, who said this uh, to another man named D.L. Moody. I don't know if you've ever heard of that man, but he said a very famous quote. He said, The world has yet to see what God can do through one man whose heart is totally surrendered unto him. He said that to D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody's response was, I will be that man. D.L. Moody was a man, if, you've, if you know anything about him, uh, he was a man who became one of the greatest evangelists of all time. He, he was a Billy Graham before Billy Graham. And he uh, led thousands and thousands of thousands of people to know Jesus. He was an incredible preacher, an incredible man of God, started many churches, and he was an incredible evangelist because he said, I, I want to be that man. I want to be the man who was fully submitted to God, who is willing to make a difference. And I believe today that every man in this room has the potential to be that man. That every man in this room has the potential to be the man of God that God has called you to be. Um, but there is, there is a war going on. There's a war that's being waged within your heart and within our society, and within our culture, and the war is against you. It is, um, it is not for you to raise up and to be the man that you've been called to be but it is for you to be passive. It is for you to put your time and energy into your workplace and not into your family and into your home. Uh, it, is, it is a call for you to put your money and your energy into hobbies, into sports, into things that will not earn you the same kind of glory that it is when you put your same kind of energy and effort into following your God. And so today we want to look at this man, Samson, who is a man who had all the physical characters of, of a man's man. I mean, this guy was incredibly strong. Um, the stories we'll, we'll discover over the next four weeks. He, uh, he rips a lion apart uh, with his bare hands. We see him with, a, with a, a jawbone of a donkey kill a thousand men single-handedly, armed men single-handedly kill a thousand men all by himself. We see him just do in, incredible physical feats that, that we could only dream of doing as men. Um, but uh, at the same time, even though this man was incredibly strong, he fell prey to um, us as guys, our three greatest weaknesses, our three greatest temptations. And today I just want to start with the story, look at the beginning of the life of Samson and look at the three greatest struggles that, that all men face like him. I want to give you some background on Samson really quick. If you've heard of Samson before, you've He's kind of famous for how strong he was, but he's also famous for another thing. He's famous for his, his great failure. You might 
have heard of the story of him and Delilah. We're not going to talk about Delilah today, but he's known for his great strength, but he's known for his great failure. And I don't know if you know this, but in every man, your greatest fear, the greatest fear of every man is the fear of failure. Fear, the greatest fear of a man is the fear of failure. Then we would get to the end of our life, to the end of our days, and we would look back and say, I have failed. I haven't accomplished anything. I haven't lived out my life the way um, it was supposed to be lived. Men do all kind of things in order to avoid failure. But what men oftentimes don't realize is um, what true success is. And when we try to earn our way and try to keep from failing in some things, we work so hard to keep from failing at a job to earn our approval. Um, But we neglect our home and we end up failing at home. And we see this in Samson, just a tragic, tragic story of a man who had the potential to do incredible things for God and end up does by the grace of God but has tremendous failure and heartache along the way. So Judges 13, the story of Samson is found in Judges 13 through 17. And Judges 13 talks about um, this couple, this young couple who wants to have kids, but they cannot. And an angel of the Lord comes to them and says, I'm going to give you a son, his name, and he's going to be a a deliverer of the people of Israel. Now, during this time in the book of Judges, the people uh, of God, they had no king, they had no ruler. Their only king were, uh, their only leaders were those who were, who were priests, who were um, those who called the people to follow God. But the people of, of Israel, they, they turned from God and began to worship other gods. They weren't following God. They weren't um, reading the scriptures of God. They weren't following the rules of God. They turned from him. And so God allowed this um, enemy, um, this enemy uh, nation, the Philistines, to come in and capture the land and rule over the land. It was an it was an occupied land. Although they lived in their hometown, it was being occupied and run and they were being heavily taxed and heavily burdened by the Philistines. And so this this had gone on for forty years. The God came to this young couple and said, I'm gonna raise up in you, I'm gonna give you a, a special child whom God has specifically chosen to deliver the people of Israel. But here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to give this child uh, I want him to take something called the Nazarite vow. Now, the Nazarite vow, you can look it up if you want to do some fun um, bathroom reading in Numbers chapter 6. Go read that sometime. But here is the Nazarite vow. It's basically pretty simple. Do not cut your hair. Okay? So that's what we talked about, Samson having long hair. Uh, it's do not touch anything or eat anything that is unclean. Anything that was unclean for a Jew was like dead animals. They Evidently, they had a problem with touching dead animals. So God said, listen... Don't touch things that are unclean, that are, that are dead. So that was one of the rules. And the other rule was you're not allowed to drink any wine. Um, you're not allowed to drink any alcohol. No fermented grape was to touch your lips. So um, three rules. Now, why those weird rules? Why no alcohol, no haircutting, and no touching of dead things? Why, why is that? Uh, God wanted this person, one of the person who took the Nazarite vow, was, was a way for a normal person, a person like you or me, to become, dedicate themselves to God, to become a priest. And, they, and God said, I want this boy, Samson, to become a priest unto the Lord. I want him to be set his part, his life, to be specially used by God. When you took the Nazarite vow, you said, I'm going to be used by God. I'm going to be a, a pastor to the people. And my job is going to be to, um, to pray and to relate the messages of God to the people of God. So he gave him some of those rules to follow. 
But um, as we find out, although Samson um, uh, very quickly had these rules, he very quickly um, disobeyed these rules, very quickly disobeyed these rules. Um, We see this guy who had this incredible potential, but this uh, incredibly weak will. And the first thing that he gave, um, uh, that he uh, was weak to, was what I believe is one of the greatest temptations that every man faces, and that's this. Number one is this. If you have notes, you can write it down. If you're a man, you probably don't even need to write it down because you know it, Um, but you can write it down just so you remember. But the first um, greatest weakness of every man is that of lust. And lust says, I want it. And if I want it, I'm going to get it. Let's see uh, Samson fall into this. Judges 14 Verses 1 through 2 says, One day when Samson was in Temna, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, A young Philistine woman in Temna caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you can marry? They asked. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me, exclamation point. She looks good. She looks good. Here Samson is. He's this uh, strong, young Israelite man, young man, um, ready to to be married. He might have just still been a teenager, 18, 19 years old. And he's ready to find a wife. And he goes to the enemy camp. He goes to the Philistine town of Timnah, which is just four miles south of where he lived. And he goes to this uh, enemy-occupied area, and he sees a hot girl. And he says, I want that. I want it. And he abandons the rule that God had given the Israelites. See, God had given the Israelites this rule. He said, listen, do not intermarry with people who were foreign. And the reason why God told him to do that is because when they would intermarry and they would bring this foreign person in, this foreign woman or this foreign man would bring with them their foreign gods. And so now you would have in a home um, this woman or man who worshiped false gods, who didn't worship the Lord. And then you had this other spouse who was trying to worship God. And what ultimately always happened is, is, is they they would give in to their spouse or give in to the woman and say, well, I'll just, I'll just worship your false gods, your idols with you. And so God said, don't intermarry. There were plenty of other women available, um, plenty of other, I'm sure, very pretty women, but Samson was stupid. So here's what happens with lust. It's like lust becomes uh, blinders. And it, it's like putting on these goggles that remove reality for men. And men are willing to, in the midst of lust, they will find this object. And it is not always um, images of women. It is not always just women. Sometimes they lust after things. Sometimes they lust after toys or things that they want to buy. But they become obsessed as if they have blinders on. They want to get this thing. And what happens is, is of course, men re- abandon responsibility. They abandon family. They abandon wives, they abandon children in order to get what they want. They say, I want it, so I'm going to get it. Lust. It's the biggest downfall 
of men. It happens all the time to men. It happened to Samson. And I believe in you and in I, men, that God has a great potential for us to do what God has called us to do to make a difference in this world. But for so many of us, we give ourselves into lust. We give into ourselves to this powerful emotion. And what happens oftentimes because of lust is it leads to the, one of the greatest other emotions that drives a man. And that is the feeling and the emotion of guilt and shame. That lust leads to another great emotion. And that emotion is shame. It is guilt. And it drives how you act. It drives how you work. It drives how you respond to your family, how you love your wife, how you respond to God. And when men give themselves over to lust, they find themselves in a trap. They find themselves in a cycle of guilt and shame and guilt and shame that becomes what seems to be unbreakable. Here's this man who is so strong, yet he is so weak because he cannot control his own lust. Number two, the second thing that I believe men struggle with is um, this, and that is entitlement. Entitlement says, I deserve it. I've worked hard enough, I deserve it. Not only do I want it, but I deserve it. Judges 14, 5 through 9, as we continue the story, we read Samson, kind of an interesting story of what happens with him. It says that Samson and his parents We're going down to Timnah. They're going to go down to meet with the family and make some wedding plans, even against the parents, um, even though they don't want to. Um, A young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. It's pretty awesome. He did it as easily if it were a young goat. So he just tears apart this roaring lion. I don't know if you've ever been attacked by a lion. I I sort of have. Um, It was a cat, which is kind of like just a smaller version of a lion. I wanted to rip it apart, but I didn't because it was my own cat. Um, But uh, I don't know if you've ever been face-to-face with a lion. Like if you go to a zoo and you get right up to the glass... But, man, those things are incredibly powerful, incredibly strong. They take down gazelles. They take down these incredibly fast animals. They are the king of the jungle. And this man grabbed his jaw and ripped him apart. Man, that's awesome. I know you women are like, that's disgusting. Guys are like, whoa, you know, and that's awesome. So here, he does something amazing. But now listen to what happens. Verse 7, when Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. Verse 8, later when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look for the carcass of the lion. Now, why would he go look for the dead lion? Now, he knows he's not supposed to touch dead things because he's taken the Nazarite vow. But he goes and looks at the dead lion because it's like, hey, I want to see that lion I killed because that was awesome. <laughs> right? He's like, dude, it's not every day you rip a, a lion apart. I got to check. That. I got to go by and just see it one more time. So he goes by to look for the carcass of the lion. He found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. So just like any guy would do, right? He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. And then he also gave some to his father 
and mother, and they ate it. But here, but he didn't tell them he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. Probably a good idea, right? So he sees this dead lion in the carcass of this rotting animal, and these bees had made a hive in there. Something sweet, something yummy, honey. So he says, I want some honey. I deserve it. I killed that lion. That's my prize. And there's my, there's my trophy inside. I give me some honey. So he touches a dead animal, which is, of course, against the Nazarite vow. He breaks the vow of God in order to get something sweet, just some honey. He breaks his, his lifelong vow to God just to get some honey. But here's the interesting thing that he does, too, is he also shares it to cover up his sin. It was like, well, you know, where'd you get that honey from? He's like, oh, it's just, you know, I just, just found it. Here, let me give you some. Let me share some with my family. He shares it with his mom and dad. Listen, I know some of you are thinking, man, that's just nasty. Why was he reaching to a dead carcass? Look, let's just be honest, guys. We're nasty, right? I mean, you you women tell us all the time we're nasty. So as guys, we might as well just admit to it. And if, if you don't think that you're nasty, let me just ask you a question. How many of you have ever picked up food off the ground and eaten it? Come on, let's be honest. You, you know, all right, this, this, that's honesty time. All right, how many of you have ever picked up food out of the trash and eaten it? You remember that episode on Seinfeld, George and the Donut? That's right. <laughs> men, men are nasty. I was cleaning out my car the other day. In the back of our car, it's listen, it's very scary to go in the back of our car. We have six kids, and oftentimes you just never know what kind of article of food you will find back there. But I'm cleaning out the car, I'm vacuuming, and there was some jelly bellies in the back, kind of in the cracks. And I don't know if you know about jelly bellies, but they're not your average jelly bean. You know, they're gourmet jelly beans. So, of course I ate those jelly beans. <laughs> Who knows how long those things have been in there? But I'm not going to let those things go to waste. Man, they were awesome. So, and obviously they have a long shelf life, so I wasn't worried about it being rotten or anything, you know. But guys, listen, guys, just we're nasty. All right. So he's eating honey out of a dead animal. Whatever. He's nasty too. But here's the thing that he does that's that's so crazy. He actually he gives it to his family. And here's the the, the point to this that I think oftentimes guys we that we don't understand. When we sin, it affects the people around us. And it most often affects our loved ones. You see, guys, when you're young and you're a boy, uh, you feel like you can do whatever you want and the consequences fall on you alone. If you fall, you break your leg, whatever. You know, you'll, you'll go to the doctor and you'll get better. Um, but when you get older and you begin to have job and family and responsibility, and all of a sudden, when you sin, when you choose... Um, to say, hey, I'm entitled to this and I'm going to do whatever I want to do, you're not just affecting you. You're affecting your family. You affect the people beside you. You affect your coworkers. You affect your friends. And the people who feel the brunt of your sins, oftentimes it's not even you, but it's the people you love the most. I see it over and over again. That's why God says he hates divorce. Why? And I know some of you come from divorced families and divorced homes, and you've seen it personally that the sins of the adults have greatly affected the children. Greatly affected the children. And oftentimes, the, ch- the consequences that the children feel are much greater than what you feel. Much greater than what you feel. And so you, you, cheat, you cheat at home, you cheat at the job, 
you, you cheat everyone around you. And I see people all the time do stupid stuff for honey. They leave a faithful wife for an unfaithful homewrecker. They, um, they choose a vacation or a TV or a new something shiny instead of giving to God, instead of providing for their family. I see people who get cheap thrills on a computer screen instead of their willingness to be honest and to be open. I mean, it happens to us all the time. We become entitled and we think, I deserve it. So we take whatever we want, whenever we want, and we don't even think about the effects that it has around us. Number three, the third thing that um, faces every man is the issue of pride. Pride says, uh, I can handle it. See, lust says, I want it. Entitlement says, I deserve it. Pride says, I can handle it. I'm strong enough. I can do this. I can handle it all by myself. The Nazarite vow was to don't cut your hair, don't drink, and don't touch dead things. Let's look at what he happens when he gets down in the next verse in verse 10. So he gets down to Timnah and he's hanging out with his uh, new to soon-to-be bride and her family. It says, verse 10, as the father was making final arrangements for the marriage, Samson threw a party at Timnah as was cus- the custom for elite young men. Now, on the service, that doesn't sound like a big deal. But if, if you were an Israelite, if you were a Jewish person who lived during this day, you would read this and go, oh, he did not. Because you see, what he did is he stepped into this pagan culture and he took on the practice of the pagans. The practice of these pagan people who did not believe in God was that before the wedding, they throw a bachelor party. And the word here that is meant for the party is not just a time where you sit and eat, but it's meant for a celebration, uh, an occasion for drinking. It's What he did is he had a keg party. He basically had a big old keg party. He threw himself a keg party in the pagan town. It's not even like he invited his own friends and said, hey, let's just get my friends together. No, he went down and hung out with them and became a part of their practice. And you see what the practice was? It was for the elite young men. Is for those guys who are the elite. So he says, I'm going to throw myself a party for the elite young men. Those guys who deserve it. Those guys who can handle it. Those guys who are true men's men. Because I'm a man's man. I ripped apart a lion. I deserve this. I'm strong. Can't nobody take me down. Pride. Pride. Arrogance. Um, do you guys struggle with pride? My guess is, is Yes. My guess is that every man struggles with pride. And if you're sitting there and you say, <laughs> I don't struggle with pride. Well, your mom struggles with pride. You know, if, 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 that's how, if that's what you're saying kind of back to me, guess what? That's pride. All right? So you just bought into it. That's pride. Um, pride is when we feel like um, we don't need anybody else. We can handle thing, uh, all things on our own. The scripture says that God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Sometimes, guys, we want to kind of bow up and think we're strong enough, we can do everything ourselves. Um, But that's not the way it was meant to be. That's not the way it was meant to be. So many of us fall prey to things because we think, I can handle this. I'm strong enough to handle that. Yeah, it's it's just a drink. It's just a lunch with a colleague. I can handle that. It's just, a, it's just a drink with a friend. Sure, she's of the opposite sex. 
But, you know, we work together all the time. This is no big deal. I can handle it. I can handle her coming over and spending the night, or I can handle, you know, that extra drink, or I can handle that extra payment, or I can handle um, this relationship. And in reality, we think that we can, and at the end of the day, we end up ruining ourselves, ruining our families, ruining our marriages, ruining our children, because we said, I can handle it. I can take care of it. If we fast forward to the end of Samson's life, you'll see him, and we'll, we'll walk through it, so we're not there yet, but we'll read the passage where um, we'll see him at the end of his life. He is literally bound in chains. He's in the middle of a coliseum, um, and they're having a big party. The Philistines are having a big party. And Samson is bound in chains. His hair is all cut off, and his eyes have been ripped out of their sockets. So he has just these bloody pits for eyes. He cannot see, and he is a man who is weak. His hair has been cut off. His power is gone. He's been humiliated. He's been beaten half to death, and he is the laughing stock of this party of 3,000 Philistine people. And all these leaders of the nation are looking at him and mocking him. And as they look at him and mock at him, if only he had seen that before. See, if he could have seen the end before, he would have never thrown himself that party. He would have never touched that dead animal. He would have never chosen that woman from another town. Because you see, in the end, he, he, he saw his, sees his life being destroyed, miserable, ashamed. See, guys, so many times we're so stupid and so prideful, we're not willing to see the end. Where is this going to lead me if I continue on this path? If I continue to be involved in, in this lust, where is it going to lead me? at the end of the road. If I continue to be involved in this affair, where is it going to lead me at the end of the road? If I continue these spending habits, where is it going to lead me at the end of the road? If I continue neglecting my family, neglecting my, my, my wife, neglecting the things that I'm supposed to do at home, where is it going to leave me then at the end of the road? I see so oftentimes men who are aggressive at work, aggressive to get um, the job done, committed to get the job done. They'll do anything and then they get it home and they get lazy, and they do nothing. You see men all the time who will spend hours researching the best TV to buy, the best high-definition 3D incredible TV. This is going to be awesome. We'll be able to watch the big game on this, and it's going to be incredible, and getting just the right stereo with it. Spend hours researching that, but they won't spend five minutes in the Word of God. Guys that will give themselves to things that are stupid, instead of things that have meaning and purpose. But guys, if you could see what happens at the end of the road, then you would stop the actions of today. Guys, we all fall into to lust, I want it. Entitlement, I deserve it. And pride, I can handle it. But see, but the Lord wants to raise you up and call you to be men who are different. He wants you to be strong in a different way. I want to be strong too. I want to be strong in a different way, not just physically strong like Samson was, but I want to be spiritually strong. I want to be spiritually strong. And, and here's the way that God can turn you into a spiritually strong person. I want to give you three things that are the exact opposite of lust, entitlement, and pride. If you want to be a strong man who's truly strong, then you say instead of I want it, you say I want God. When God becomes a priority of your life. Men, some of you, um, God is not the priority of your life, if you're real honest. 
The workplace is the priority of your life. The job is the priority. The hobby is the priority of your life. God is not. And when God becomes the priority of your life, then everything else begins to fall in place. Then we have to put God at the center of all that we want and do. He must be number one. And I know that's easier said than done. Easier said than done. But he must be first. And that must be our commitment when we get out of bed every day is that in order to be strong, it's not that I'm just going to go work hard. It's that I'm I'm going to be willing to submit my life unto the power of the Lord. Submit my life unto God because he is number one in my life. He is my top priority. Number two, instead of saying you deserve it, understanding what you truly deserve, and that's this, that's death. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Men, you don't deserve it. You're not entitled. You do not deserve it. Well, if you got what you deserved, men, you would get death and separation from God for eternity. But Jesus Christ paid on the cross the debt that you could not pay. He paid on the cross the penalty of sin and death for your mistakes. And every day when you fall into lust, into pride and into entitlement, and you do those things that are stupid, he paid it on the cross for you so that you can live in the freedom that comes in the cross. And say, I, I, I don't deserve this stuff. What I deserve is death. And instead of, of going after these things, I'm going to live in thankfulness for the grace of Jesus. I'm going to walk humbly with God and I'm going to give myself to him and place him first because I'm not getting what I truly deserve. God has given me grace and mercy and freedom in him through the blood of the cross. If you want to be strong, man, you have got to become weak. Number three is this. Instead of saying, I can handle him, I can handle it. You've got to say, I can't handle anything apart from God. I cannot handle anything apart from God. The strongest men that I know are the weakest men. They're the men that are willing to say, I cannot do it on my own. The, the Bible says it's the fool who walks in his own strength and power. The Bible says you're a fool if you walk in your own strength and power. You're a fool because you will fail. And if you don't want to fail, then you've got to become weak, not try harder, not try to be stronger, not just try a little more, but you've got to become totally weak and submit yourself unto the power of God. The scripture says that, yes, that in your flesh, you if you walk in your flesh, you're a fool, but those who would walk in the spirit and the power of the Lord and submit themselves to God, that God raises them up, raises them up to be the strong ones, raises them up to be the humble ones. That's how you become strong. Listen, I, I want to become strong. But in order for me to become strong, I've got to become weak. It's not that I would stand strong. It's that I would get on my knees before God and be weak. Listen to what Ephesians 6.10 says. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Not in yourself, but be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. We sang about that song, He is mighty to save, not you. He is mighty to save. Ephesians 6.10 says that. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 12.9 says. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's God saying his strength, not our strength, is made perfect in men and our weaknesses. His strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. So when you're willing to be weak, when you're willing to, to, to be on your knees and say, God, I'm weak before you and I need you and I can't handle the situation in my life, 
I can't overcome these issues, these addictions, these things that I have. I can't serve my family the way I'm supposed to without you. Then you become strong. It is his strength. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 15 says this, or 13, sorry. It says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. Another translation says, act like men. Act like men. To act like a man is to be courageous. To be courageous is to be weak in God, that you would be willing to give yourself up. Um, My wife went grocery shopping, as she always does, and when she comes home, all the kids run out to help her, and my boys love to help bring in the groceries, and oftentimes it is a challenge for them to grab the heaviest thing. They love to grab things that are heavy and bring them in for mom. I walk out back to the back of the car, and my son had grabbed a bag that had um, had two things. It was a double bag, but it had two things of milk in it. So it was very, very heavy. And my son grabbed these two things of milk, and I said, son, let me get that for you. No, 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 dad, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Son, let me take the milk, and, and I, will, I will bring it in. I don't want you to drop it. No, dad, I, I've got it. He grabs it. He begins to go around the corner. He bumps kind of the corner of the car. He drops it, one of the gallons, bus and there's milk all over our driveway and in an instant i was so frustrated i got like just kind of fleshly and angry like why didn't you listen to me son like i told you you couldn't do it and you didn't listen to me and here we are look there's milk spilled everywhere why don't you just why don't you just listen to me when i tell you what to do (laughs) oh boy does god turn that back on me God used that story in my life to remind me that that is how I am so oftentimes. I'm the little boy who says, I can carry this on my own. I can handle this sin on my own. I can do this on my own strength. And God is saying, let me carry it for you. Let me carry it for you. And what I end up doing is I end up dropping it, spilling it, and making a mess. But God says, let me carry the burden for you. But you have to be man enough to become weak. It's hard to say, I can't handle it. Isn't it, guys? It's hard to say, God, I need you. But the strongest man will be the man who will say, God, I need you. Are you that man today? Let me call you, men, to man up. They say, don't stand in your own strength, but to stand in the strength of the Lord. I want to call you to be courageous men. I want to call you to be men who stand up to lead their families, to pray with their wives to pray with their children and to lead their families to the Lord, to be men who will, who will fight for those who can't fight for themselves. I want to call you to be men of courage, men who become weak before the Lord so that they can be strong. Don't be the fool like Samson. He was physically incredibly strong, but he was stupid because he failed to see that he was weak and should become weak in light of God. Let me pray for you today because I want to pray for you men. And maybe you're here and and you've, yeah, go ahead and bring up the band. Maybe you're here today and your your life is kind of a wreck. I want you to understand that the grace of God is good. That Jesus' death and payment on the cross is sufficient for you. That he forgives you. And whatever mess you've made, he wants to take your brokenness and begin to heal you. That's the grace and the goodness of God. But you're going to have to be weak. You're going to have to submit your life to him. And you can do that in this moment. We're going to pray, and I just want to give you an opportunity to submit yourself to God and be weak in the midst of Him. Let's pray. And maybe you're a woman here too, and you need to say this before God. 
So whether you're a man or a woman, maybe you need to stand up and, and say this to God and just say, you don't have to say it out loud, but just say it in your own words and say, God, I am sick of doing things on my own and in my own strength. God, I, I fail over and over again. But God, I, I want to be strong in you. So I submit my heart, I submit my life, I submit my sin, I submit my lust, I submit my pride, I submit my entitlement over to you. And God, I place you number one in my life. I place you priority in my life. God, I need you. I cannot do it on my own. God, I can only do it in your strength. God, would you empower me with your spirit? God, would you give me the grace that I need? to follow you, to be the man that you've called me to be, to live up to the potential that you've made me to be. Father, I need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're here and you've never experienced the grace of Jesus and you need to know that before you leave today, you can come and just give your heart to God. You can say, Jesus, I need you and I'm full of sin, but I, I can come to a God who loves me in spite of my sin. That's what Jesus and the cross is all about. The gospel is good news. It's good news for you that you don't deserve it. You don't deserve what Jesus has done for you, but you can have it. You can have it by faith and knowing him. We're going to pray and we're going to sing.